now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is MC Money, and I'm joined by certain the creepy soccer dad and how Stradamus and, and boys and girls, the Dolphins are coming off a victory against the Tennessee Titans, beating them soundly on all three phases of the game. Of course, that is a lie. They beat them on the defensive <laughs> side of the game, and the offense was absolutely pathetic, but they did do a good job on special teams. They, play, they played very, very well. They beat the uh, Titans 16-10, to 10, played very well, I should say, on defense. And special teams, not so well on offense. We'll get on that till later. But, boys, it's a little disappointing, um, Houghton Sutton. You know, the Dolphins are in the midst of a uh, – they were in the midst of a two-game losing streak after beating the Chargers uh, week one, week two, whatever you want to call it, then losing to the Jets and the Saints, and then they finally beat the Titans. But it's a little disappointing because – you win, the Dolphins win, you expect to have a great week, and not one peep from any media members about the Miami Dolphins this week. It has been absolutely troublesome to not have the Dolphins in the news, and I guess the Dolphins just need to prove themselves, and that's what it takes for the news to start mentioning the Dolphins and talking about the Dolphins, whether it's national or local or, or whoever, or just random casual fans talking about the Dolphins, then that's what I guess is going to have to happen. A little disappointing that yeah. we haven't heard anything about the Dolphins this week. Yeah, it's been crickets and tumbleweeds around here. So I hope we can muster something to talk about tonight. Else, any any uh, reaction uh, from the Pennsylvania media? Anyone talking about the Dolphins this week? House is uh, crickets as well. So it uh, looks like House <laughs> is having a few technical difficulties here. I don't even know if that's House on the line, to be honest with you. I think it is, but he may be having trouble. Um, so I know you want to throw him a text. But anyways, yeah, I mean, that's, of course, another lie. The Dolphins have been all over the news ever since late Sunday night when uh, it was discovered that a Reddit message board of all places, a Reddit message board uncovered a Facebook post from some lady model slash uh, escort slash stripper, whatever you want to call her unleashing hell on the Miami Dolphins and throwing the entire organization into an absolute cluster starting around, oh, geez, 10.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Sunday night. I guess the post had been up for several hours, and no one really saw it. Reddit, the people on Reddit found it quite earlier, and then it just kind of spread throughout their message boards. And the people on Reddit, I don't think a lot of them have Twitter. And then, of course, guys, we have it in our uh, chat, and we saw that coming around just around that time, 1045. And then, uh, you know, from there, Ben Albright tweeted it, and then a few others tweeted it. 
And then from there, it just spread like wildfire. But of course, that's Chris Forster uh, being uh, shown snorting the uh, politically correct term is white powdery substance. We all know what it was, but for legal matters, we cannot really say it. But what an amazing, uh, amazing is not even a word, a tremendous uh, (laughs) display of incompetence and, and just stupidity and really foolishness on his part. The dude literally risked it all. He risked everything for a stripper, escort, model, whatever you want to call her. And that's that's just rookie mistake right there. How else are you back on? Can you hear me? Yeah, we could hear you. What's up, buddy? Yeah, see, I th- I'm pretty sure you just had me muted. And But I, I did yeah, want to say, you, you mentioned how we uh, didn't really make any national news. We, we definitely did with this whole Chris Forrester thing. It was everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it was all they talked about thereafter like you said it broke news and like you said i can't believe he risked everything he had i I think it came out today at a wife and kids and it's just it's unfortunate the the way things unraveled how how, i don't know about you but i was a little nervous coming into this show i didn't know who matthew was going to name the cocaine guru of finsider radio um that's that's i'm kind of curious (laughs) it's gotta be you right (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, one might expect it since I have four kids. I have to have some level of energy, but I assure you that has nothing to do with it. <laughs> I was actually going to call one of you the snorting guru in just a few minutes, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but no, I mean, I mean, your thoughts, guys. I mean, we all talked about it on Twitter. I, I tweeted several things. I mean, the dude is, the dude is getting paid two and a half to $3 million a year. No one's really quite sure what his exact salary was because that stuff isn't really made public. But um, it, one of the highest paid assistant coaches in the entire NFL, dude has his life set in front of him forever, right, with that much money. And, and just, I, 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 I get it. I, I don't know. I don't get snorting cocaine at your desk. I, I don't get it. But I, at the look, same time, look, you know, it was, time, it hold was, on, hold on. Hold on. At the same time, I get that someone might feel invincible and, oh, this will never happen to me. And someone who's making three million bucks a year coaching in the National Football League, one of the top paid assistants uh, throughout the NFL, may feel invincible and may think, oh, this will never happen to me. I'm not going to be one of those people and, and no one will ever catch me. Go ahead, Sutton. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a colossal mistake. And I think he would admit that. But let's also reflect on the fact that many of us have made mistakes too. Um, so just kind of hope that there's some kind of positive outcome from this story. But from a football perspective, when you remove him out of the equation, you have Elmo. I don't even know if I pronounce that right, uh, coming back into the fold. But we were talking a pre-show MC Money about – Chris Forster was also the run game coordinator, so it's going to be interesting to see if we can get some kind of infusion of energy into that run game because we know that this Miami Dolphins offense flows best through Jade. Yes, and, um, you know, it's no – I shouldn't say it's no coincidence, but it's just – 
I, I guess it's just funny how the run game was, was pretty good last year. You know, J.H.I. was a monster. And that's when he was not the run game coordinator. And this year he is the run game coordinator. And the run game has gone to absolute crap. I was reading up on, you know, because I don't, I don't do cocaine. I will never do cocaine. I don't ever plan on doing cocaine. So I don't know what it's like to do cocaine. But I, I, did drug. <laughs> I did read up <laughs> on it before we came on the air tonight. And I thought this part was interesting. Um, while high on cocaine, users can have the illusion of feeling better than they usually do about themselves to the point, to the point of feeling superior to other people. Unfortunately, this false confidence is an effect of the drug and not based on any real accomplishment. And grandiosity, grandiosity can be annoying to other people, leading to social problems. Let me read that again. Unfortunately, this false confidence is an effect of the drug and not based on any real accomplishment. How am I out of line to think and to suggest that the Dolphins run problems and pass blocking problems and offensive line problems as a whole can be directly tied to Chris Forrester snorting cocaine at the facility while on the job. Yeah, I definitely think that the two of those things go hand in hand. I wouldn't put complete fault on him. And I do think the offensive line, I know we talked about before the interior part of that offensive line needs to improve. But like you said, last year, the offensive line really wasn't that much better, if at all, and Jay Ajayi had one of the better statistical seasons. So to come out early in the season and see Jay Ajayi struggle, to see the entire offensive line as a whole struggle, I mean, you got to think Chris Forrester had a lot to do with that. And just real quick, guys, uh, Joe Shaw just reported that his wife, Michelle, released a statement. So let me just quick read it off. I, I don't know if that's something yeah. you want me to do, but here we go. As a family, our first and foremost concern is that Chris gets the help he needs. We ask that family members be afforded privacy as we work to support each other during this difficult time. And you just got to feel for her because, I mean, you, you could think things are all roses and sunshine, and then you got this video released that a stripper's essentially extorting your husband. I mean, it got to be life, life-shattering, to, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, the dude had no chance at all because she was on the Dan LeBetard show this er- earlier today, and she basically said even if he didn't send her that video, they were going to out him. They were going to secretly record him doing something, and they were going to release that. So it was just a matter of time for him. And, and we'll talk about the timeline in a little bit. But so, and I just want to get your opinion as well. I mean, is it out of line for I and now how to suggest that the incompetence of the offensive line can be directly related to Chris Forster and his drug habits while on the job? It's really hard to tell, honestly. I I try to – I guess I'll give him the benefit of the doubt that we don't know how much he was doing it and at what circumstances. It sure seems really bad right now with the information that we have, considering he did it right before our team meeting. So I don't really think you can throw out any scenario where he may have used this white powdery substance before, you know, interacting with players and coaches and fans and anybody else. Um, but it, it is hard to tell how much of an effect that it had on his mentality towards things, how deep he was into this addiction and stuff like that. So it, it really is kind of hard to prescribe what, um, what happened there. 
and what kind of effect it had on his game planning and his approach to interacting with the players. And I just thought it was kind of funny. Gay said, like, he was always there at four in the morning. It's like, oh, well, he can't sleep. But um, <laughs> and he said he always gets to put it, his head down and goes to work, too. <laughs> But, yeah, so it, it's kind of hard to tell. Again, I'm going to give, uh, you know, I've made mistakes in my life too, so I'm not going to harp uh, on the bad decision that he made and just hope that there's some kind of positive outcome for him and his family and get back to football business because that's what the NFL is, get back to work. And, and I mentioned the timeline of everything, and it's just crazy because, I mean, the guy, the, guy, it's, the drug habit just didn't start just now. It's been with him for a while. He just got caught. But this whole downfall with, with this lady out in Vegas or whatever she is happens when the Dolphins went out west uh, when Hurricane Irma came into Florida. And she admitted that as well. She said that uh, he had contacted her for the first time while they were in Oxnard where they were practicing before the Chargers game. And then from there, he uh, called her multiple times, hung out with her multiple times, invited her to London, invited her to New York, I believe it was. And maybe you guys were tailgating with her in the parking lot. Who knows? Uh, And then invited her to come live in Miami with him. Just crazy, crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. And there's really not much you can say, right? The players came out in support of him. They were all blindsided by it. They were all shocked. I guess they couldn't tell that he was high and, and on drugs. Maybe he did a really good job of hiding it, but then again, I don't know what it's like for someone to be on cocaine, so I don't even know if you can tell if someone's high on that drug or not. I don't know. We don't have any cocaine experts around here. No Kirk, no cocaine gurus on Finsider Radio. Sorry, guys. <laughs> it's true. All right. Well, let's talk about this offensive line because really it is a um, – when you look at the tape, and I started looking at the tape last night and it got a little too late for me, and I need to finish looking, uh, looking at the tape and posting some images and some videos on Twitter. But I went through uh, most of the first half, and, and this is not the popular thing to say, but honestly, guys, maybe there was one or two plays at most where it was Jay Cutler's fault. And, I mean, Jay Cutler was dropping back on his pass. He was at the end of his drop, and there was pressure in his face. And if there wasn't pressure in his face, there was about to be pressure in his face. And when he even had just a half second, a half second, or a second to look down the field, none of the receivers were open. So I don't know what's up with this offense right now. Armando Salguero of the Miami Herald came out with an article saying an offensive overhaul is likely at the end of the season if things don't shape up. It was a little sobering because it kind of gave no hope for this season and people internally within the Dolphins front office are saying uh, privately that there's no hope this season, but really, you know, what are the Dolphins going to do? When you look at the offensive line, you look at Bushrod, you look at Steen, they're struggling. Pouncey is doing okay. Tunsil's improving. Juwan James is improving and, and getting better every time. Kenny Stills is whiffing on blocks all over the place. Jarvis Landry is not running the right routes. Devontae Parker is hurt. Jaquin Green is a little bit small. Leontay Crew has been a bust thus far. Isaiah Ford's on IR. Julius Thomas isn't doing anything. Fasano's a blocking tight end. Jay Ajayi cannot find any holes in the offensive line. Jay Cutler can't find any time to throw. It is an absolute mess. How, where do we start? Yeah, that's, that's pretty sad to hear you say all that stuff. But, I mean, it's true. And 
you look you did mention Steen. He had a pretty good game according to Pro Football Focus. I know they rated him as a ninety point four at run blocking and uh he struggled against in pass blocking but eighty four point two overall. So I mean Steen looked good against the Titans but, but that was that one game and I think it all comes back to the offensive line. Again, the interior. You need guys like Mike Pouncey to step up. You mentioned Steen and Bushrod just aren't cutting it. And ultimately, we just got to get that run game going because Jay Ajayi, he can, he can make something out of nothing. I think he's one of the, the leaders in the NFL with missed tackles or yards after contact. But you just can't put it all in Ajayi. And if you don't have that run game going, you can't do anything with that play-action pass. And I know that I think some statistics came out earlier in the week, and it kind of looked like something that we've said on Finsider Radio all year long, that once you get that run game going, Jay Culler, he thrives with play-action. But if you can't get that going, I mean, he's he's – pretty much invisible and you saw late in that game they started running the play action and we started to have success on offense but overall man I, I just I just don't know Devontae Parker it looks like he's going to be out several weeks I, I know nothing in set in stone with that but it just seems like he's he's not going to have that breakout year that we all expected Jarvis Landry I mean there's only so much he can do so it, it, it sucks I mean we came into this season we had an offensive minded head coach an offensive guru as some might say and we thought this offense was just going to was just going to score points at will and, and not be the problem at all. And it's complete opposite. The defense, I mean, they scored just as many touchdowns on Sunday as, as the Dolphins' offense did. And that's just not how you can win games. And, and heading into Atlanta to take on a, a team that just had a, a week to prepare for the or two weeks to prepare for the Dolphins, they're the former NFC champs. I mean, that's going to be a tough, tough game. Oh, how I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the the preseason expectations coming into the year, looking at the offense and the defense. And I think you would have been seen borderline crazy if you came into this season thinking that the defense was going to be seriously outplaying the offense. But that's exactly what's happened so far this season. And it's a whole smorgasbord of issues across the board. And, you know, when you look at the offense, of line, you do see some good snaps. I mean, Jawan James has had good games. Laramie Tunsil's had good games. Pouncey's had good games. Steen has had good games. But when you look at the tape, you see four out of five doing it right. And just not enough plays of all five doing that right. And I posted a, a play on the Finsider today, and I'm calling this series What Happened Here, where we just kind of look at a play and see why the play didn't work out the way that we wanted it to. And you see a combination of things. You see Laramie Tunsil late recognizing a blitz is coming off the edge from a nickel corner, even though the other offensive linemen have slid over to take over their assignments, which kind of triggers this domino effect of Jay Cutler scurrying the pocket way too fast. And that's what I've noticed so far about Jay Cutler this season. It's, combination of footwork and pocket presence and he just seems a little a little too quick to try to get out of the pocket or he's not letting plays develop even when the pocket is there and in this particular play it was the first play after the two-minute warning against the titans in the first half he had a, a chance and i know anybody that studies Ryan Tanhill's pocket presence, he can stay in there and take a hit. But he also has a pitter-patter where he's keeping his feet moving, but he's not really moving that far from his stationary standpoint in the pocket. And Color had an opportunity to do this with 
some routes developing, wasn't able to do that, scurried way too far from the pocket, and then throws a dangerous pass to Jarvis Landry on the sideline that could have been picked off. And, you know, then we'd be staring at Tennessee in the red zone going in to score at the end of the half. So it really is a combination of things. The I think what's most disheartening for me so far is some of the body language I'm seeing out there. I don't know if you guys have seen the same thing. I'll throw this to you after this, MC Money, but I'm seeing a little bit of negative body language, especially with the wide receiver group, to be honest with you. I've seen Jarvis Landry have a couple of drops and just not seem to care. I've seen, you know, you had mentioned Kenny Stills whiffing on some blocks, and he's shown a little bit body language that's a little bit lethargic for me. So have you guys seen anything like that? That's I, I think that for me, that's been the most concerning thing, but I don't know if I'm over, over reading into this. You know, um, son, Uncle Finster on the Finside Radio Live thread uh, posted something. He posted this, and it's really kind of interesting because it's true. Okay, let me, let me, here, here it is. There has been a rumor going around that a lot of the players on offense were not exactly in agreement with Gase on starting Cutler, or to put it more correctly, not for not starting more, who is a universally liked and respected player and a sluggish and listless, always a product of that, not on purpose, of course, just a lack of unified direction. And Uncle Finster, uh, wherever you heard that rumor, uh, good for you, because that is absolutely true. And, and I can tell you, based on people I've talked to, that the locker room isn't totally on board with Jay Cutler as quarterback. And of course you hear it in the media, in the public, they're, they're not going to throw their starting quarterback under the bus. I can tell you that Adam Gase and Jay Cutler don't always get along behind the scenes. I can tell you that they argue quite a bit and that, um, you know, the, the players wanted more. They, they were content with going into the season with more. In the back of my head, do I think there's a slight method to Gase's madness? Here would be my, um, my take on that. And I could be completely wrong, and I could just be imagining things. You know, when you're going to bed and, and your, your lights are off and you just watch a scary movie and you just start hearing noises and you start seeing things, you start imagining crazy stuff. Well, this is me doing that right now. But when you look at Matt Moore, right, he's a backup for a reason. Do you really think uh, House and Sutton, I just want a yes or no answer from you. Do you think Matt Moore can last 16 games in a season? No. Yes. <laughs> okay. So I don't think he could. I, I don't think he could. I don't think his arm can hold up. So what if Adam Gase brought in Jay Cutler, right, to play half the season? and then bring in Matt Moore for the second half to make a playoff run with the Dolphins. Do you think I'm crazy for thinking that? Or do you think there might be some truth to that? I, I think you're the quarterback guru on Finsider Radio. <laughs> I think you're crazy regardless of this, this thing that you thought up. But, I mean, it isn't, it's a pretty damn good idea. And, I mean, it's something that you can definitely – think at now and say okay you got Jay Cutler struggling now we're two and two we're in a better situation than we were last year which I mean you look at the team we had last year and the team we had this year and offensively I take the team from last year but that's besides the point that's a whole different discussion I I think it's I think that'd be genius and I think who's to say that isn't going to happen so 
do I think that was Gase's plan all along? No. Do I think Matt Moore could last an entire 16-game season? No. Do I think this team could be better off if he takes over eight games into the year? Probably. So I, I like what you're, I like your theory. Uh, I'm just not sure how it'll play out. Son, am I crazy? You guys are both crazy, to be honest with you. <laughs> Here, <laughs> here's what I think. Okay, so let, let's say your Gase is pocket, you know, has a cockamamie idea to have, you know, 50% of the game started by Jay Cutler, 50% by Matt Moore. Wouldn't you have it the other way around? Wouldn't you have Matt Moore start in the beginning of the season and then play Jay Cutler later? Because you brought, you brought Jay Cutler late in the camp, so he's already behind on the install and stuff. Then, you know, you, you, you want to have Jay Cutler with a full command over the offense. Yeah, he worked with Adam Gase in Chicago. I don't know if that means the offense is exactly the same. But at least in terms of a rep standpoint and practice and stuff, that's where it would get nuanced, how you break up the reps in practice to make sure that Jay Cutler is getting opportunities to play with the first team without actually having to start a game yet. So if you did do this 50-50 thing, I think it would have made more sense to play Matt Moore first and then Jay Cutler later because then if Jay Cutler has a couple off games and depending on what happens with Matt Moore in the beginning of the year – say he is playing at a reasonably high level, then you could ride him. But um, Yeah, but yeah, but, I think but, you guys are both crazy. No, we're not we're not uh, crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy because Jay, you can you can you can bench Jay Cutler halfway through the year if he's not playing well and not be hated by your locker room or fans for it. You can't take Matt Moore and bench him halfway through the year right. when he's the incumbent quarterback. And can I just ask that's what I'm saying that's what I'm no, saying. You could no, have kept him I'm in talking. if he was playing well. No, no, I'm talking. <laughs> oh, I'm so Listen, sorry. You're getting me heated right now because <laughs> because if Matt Moore is playing at a high level for the first four weeks of the season, well, who gives a crap? Because Case Keenum played at a high level too for the first four games with the Rams, right? When he was their starter last year. And then what happens? Defenses start to figure you out a little bit. So if Adam Gase thinks he can put Matt Moore in there week eight, week nine, week ten – it's going to take a few weeks for defenses to adjust to him. And, hey, let's ride you into the playoffs. You played well enough to beat the Steelers last year. You left some plays on the field, but we still had the opportunity to win that ball game. I mean, this is all probably stuff we're making up in our heads, but it would be an absolute Absolutely. genius thing if Gase did this, if this was what Gase was thinking. <laughs> can, can I just ask something real quick? Do, you, do either you of you guys think Cutler's going to – do you think Cutler's going to play the entire season? Do you think he's going to last that long as far as injury I don't or think so. whether or not he gets benched? That's, yeah, I, was, I was thinking the same thing. So I don't think this is ultimately Gase's plan. I don't think what you're saying is what he had dreamt up in his head. But I, I, the Jay Cutler I see right now, I mean, he just looks scared with the football. And, I mean, he, he, is. he he's an older man. I mean, you take one hit, and I, I don't want to jinx anything, but, I mean, the odds of him finishing the season there, I, I – I would take the the bet, like you said, Kanata, that he he ends up getting hurt or they end up benching him and Matt Moore ultimately takes over. Yeah. Uh, Tunsil, Laramie Tunsil had an interesting quote on the Palm Beach Post. Uh, Joe Shad asked Laramie Tunsil what his message would be to Jay Cutler, and here's what Tunsil said. He said, the quarterback has to trust us because he's new here. It's just more of him trusting us, and it comes with time. The more trust he has in us, the better we'll do. And you're right, Sutton, and you kind of um, alluded to this. It's guys on offense trying to feel each other out and not having any trust in each other right now. So 
maybe there is something to you where you say that Matt Moore uh, would have started the first eight games. I don't know. Um, but me and House should run a team because we are fantastic fantasy general managers, and we just proved it by our uh, master scenario here. Quick question for the both of you. Phillip Rivers, do you think he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL this year? Yes. Mm, he's right on the fringe, but yes. Yeah, I'm not counting, but I would definitely put him up there. And I, I remember last – I think it was last year I – had the whole Tannehill and Rivers comparison, and everyone got pissed off on Twitter. So I'm just going to stay out of this. I do like Phillip Rivers. I'll leave it at that. All right. So what if I told you that Phillip Rivers is, per pro football focus, ranked the 31st quarterback in the NFL behind Jay Cutler? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Deshaun Kaiser's number 30. (laughs) Deshaun Kaiser's number 32. Philip Rivers, number 31. Jay Cutler, number 30. Uh, Jay Cutler with the grade of 69.7. Philip Rivers with the grade of 66.4. Uh, passing the ball, yeah. Cutler has a grade of 70.3. Rivers has a grade of 67, 65.7. And it's not like they've been off on snaps either. Total snaps for Cutler, 239. Total snaps for Rivers, 321. So he's had more of an opportunity to, um, you know, jump past that. But, you know, when I looked at that, I was like, wow, kind of dumbfounded. There. I know. You, know, you, don't ex- you don't expect to see Philip Rivers at 31 behind Jay Cutler because the perception of Philip Rivers is much greater than that. But it's just crazy how a name can propel someone to the top of someone's mind. Ben Roethlisberger sitting at 21, Carson Palmer at 20, Mariota at 23, Derek Carr at 25, who's had a really rough year. Amari Cooper's not doing anything over there. Joe Flacco right in front of uh, Jay Cutler at number 29. Brian Hoyer at 28. Deshaun Watson at 27. Even though all the great plays and spectacular moves he's made, he's still at the bottom of the list. So that is that. Um, You just hope, guys, that the offense turns it on one game. They find that spark. They start trusting each other. We saw it last year uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? All of a sudden, the Dolphins' offense just sparked. It was an absolute disaster the first few weeks of the season. And if we look back, they played the Seahawks week one. They lost 12 to 10. And and they look good. It's almost like a spitting image of this year, right? They played really well the first game. And the only difference is we won this year. But they played really well week one. You go week two, you lose to the Patriots 24-31. You you, uh, barely beat the Browns 30 to 24. Then, you know, your offense just starts sputtering even more. You lose to the Bengals 7 to 22 lose to the Titans 30 to 17. Then all of a sudden that is one, two, three, four, week six, your offense turns it up when you beat the Steelers 30 to 15. And this is week six for the Dolphins, but it's only, they're going to be their fifth game of the season, but it's going to be right around that time where the Dolphins should uh, start turning things around. And we'll have to see how that goes. Someone else who needs to turn things around really quick is no not other than wide receiver Kenny Stills because he is having an absolutely dreadful year uh, right after receiving his three-year uh, contract extension. And Kenny Stills ranked towards the bottom of the league, according to Pro Football Focus, ranked number 108, overall grade of 38.1 out of 100. So I'm going to say that is not good. He is a receiving grade of 39.3, a run grade of 60, which is when you know the one that running back runs and he has to block. His run block is 51, 
total snaps 220. Uh, his, his run block is absolutely atrocious right now. And I know that's not the popular opinion for some. A lot of people like Kenny Stills. And, and PFF graded 110 wide receivers. <laughs> Number 110 is Amari Cooper. So he is in good company in terms of recognition, but in terms of actual production, absolute trash. Kenny Stills is not doing much this year. Uh, I'm sure it has to do with Jay Cutler. You can tell that Jay Cutler doesn't fully trust his arm. But, but Kenny Stills has not proven himself to Jay Cutler. His run blocking and just watching the tape – Terrible, absolutely terrible. There were two plays that stuck out on the first uh, first two quarters against the Titans, where Kenny still is completely whipped, and, and Jarvis Landry on the screen pass would have gotten a first down or very close to it, and Jay Jai would have been able to bounce out the side on a run and pick quite a few yards, maybe 10 to 15 yards, if Kenny Stills had held his block. But how have you noticed anything with Kenny Stills? Anything that may have been off this year? Anything you think he's just settling in because he had his new contract or do you think he's just struggling out of the gate for whatever reason it might be? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of everything. I mean, they like to say money goes to the players' heads and maybe they don't quite uh, prepare for the game the same way. And I don't think Kenny Stills is that kind of guy, but I definitely think after you get that paycheck that maybe get a little bit more laxed and and take take each day a little bit differently. But, I mean, a, a lot of that off-the-field stuff, I know Kenny Stills is real big in the community. I think uh, one of the beat writers posted an article of him meeting with local law enforcement and things like that. I know he's one of those guys that hang back during the national anthem, and to each their own. I have no opinion on that, but, I mean, some of that stuff might even go to his head or might might be in his mind, you know, pregame or during the game. And, yeah. and then just the repertoire with uh, Jay Cutler. I mean, you got a new quarterback in there. I'm sure they didn't have many reps during – training camp and preseason so uh, he's just getting accustomed to all that and as the season progresses you, you hope to see more out of Kenny Stills because you paid him that big contract I, I know Philly wanted to give him a little bit more money uh, as rumors suggest but I mean ultimately Miami might let uh, Jarvis Landry walk and that's because they ended up paying Kenny Stills and, and you'd like to see him make those plays I know he's one of Tannehill's favorite targets but as you alluded to, it's more so in the, the as a run blocker. I mean, we saw that screen pass they tried to set up on the outside, and, and he just got bullied by the corner. And then, as you said, during that Jay Ajaya run. So you just want to see more out of Kenny Stills. He's a good player, still young. But you hope that as the season progresses, him and Jay Culler can build a better repertoire and he can have more of a season like he did last season with Tannehill because that's the kind of player. Sutton, do you think that – Kenny Stills, like how it's alluded to how I think you broke up there for a second as you were ending there. Um, but I think we got the point there. Sutton, do you think as how it's alluded to all this protesting, everything else, and I don't want to bring this politics into it, but do you think it's playing a role in how he's performing on the field? Not really. I personally, I don't see it. Others may see it that way. And yeah, you know, he just got paid so that it's, you always kind of wonder about those things, but for me, the the biggest piece of this whole puzzle is just the Miami Dolphins are not throwing the ball down the field. I mean, think about how Kenny Stills got paid in the first place. He scored touchdowns, and he made big plays for us last year, and I believe it was the Saints game that we threw one ball 20 yards down the field or more, so when you have those such limited opportunities for plays down the field, and you got paid operating under a niche of stretching the defense and making plays vertically, 
when you're not afforded that opportunity, yeah, it's going to seem like you're not living up to your contract. But I just don't think we've been in a good position as an offense to allow Kenny Stills to make plays. Now, is it disheartening to see some of the lackadaisical blocking out there? Absolutely. You you want to see a player like Kenny Stills overcome some of those you know, frustrations, not getting the ball and, and setting the tone in some other way, making an impact on the game in some other way. But in terms of just the box score stats of, you know, the limited catches, yards, touchdowns, all that kind of stuff, I think he's really just been another byproduct of how awful this offense has been. So you got Kenny Stills, who just got his contract. You got Jarvis Landry in a contract year. He's not doing so well either. You got Julius Thomas doing nothing. You got Devontae Parker hurt, but he's been kind of a favorite of Jay Cutler. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where to go from here. Um, we just got to hope the offense kind of turns it around. All right, before we jump over to the defensive side of the ball and look at the Atlanta Falcons, let's go into the Finsider Radio live thread on the Finsider.com house in Sutton. What questions do we have? You want to get first outs? Yeah, here we go. I was looking through it. Alpha 6 asks, do you think the new assistant to the coach for offense or some stupid-ass title they invented can get more from these <laughs> all- <laughs> more from these offensive line members than that last sniff, O-line sniff, coach sniff, or looking like the players on the O-line are at a peak performance and it's a sniffed, lost cost, lots of sniffs. Uh, basically, he's asking if the new assistant coach or some – Stupid ass title can get more out of the players. I think he can. I think, like you, we all said, um, when Forrester was given that role as the the run game coordinator, things kind of went downhill, and you just kind of hope that I can't pronounce his name. D, can someone help me out here? D Gillum. No, I got, I got nothing. D Guglielmo is my best. Yeah, D Guglielmo. D Guglielmo. <laughs> that sounds good. Robert De Niro. I, I think he, yeah, I do think Robert Neer can come in here and, and get more out of the offensive line because the run game, it's been putrid as of late. Uh, 77 yards for Jai last week, and, and that was him working his ass off. And I think if that offensive line, this coach can get more out of them, uh, the offense will produce a lot better than they have these first four games. So I, I do think so, Alpha. Thank you for your question. Thanks, Alpha. Okay, we got one from Daytona Dolphin. He asked, if if this new O-line coach can get results, do you think other coaches might be in trouble, say the wide receivers coach? Man, it's hard to tell. I mean, this is a performance-driven league, so if Adam Gase or anybody else in the front office, you know, involved in that decision-making thinks that they can find a coach that's going to get better results, you better – guarantee that they're going to exercise that opportunity. So it's kind of hard to tell. I I believe the wide receiver coach that we have is pretty good. If I can remember correctly, it's Sean Jefferson, Tony Jefferson, one of those. Um, Yeah. Sean Jefferson. Yeah. So I I believe he's a good coach. I don't think he's on the chopping block yet. And I don't know that Adam Gates would go that route mid season. I believe he would much rather go the Dallas Thomas Billy Turner route and get rid of some fluff and send a message that way uh, than getting rid of more coaches. And we, you know, we've already yeah, lost no. the line coach, so he's I don't not think getting, we're going to want not, more he's, distractions. Yeah, he's not getting rid of any coaches midseason. Absolutely no way. Outs? Anything else? 
Yeah, I got two from red one, so I'll throw one at each of you. First one is, with Mike Pounce limited to one day of practice each week, how much is that by itself hurting development and continuity of the O-line as a group? Assuming Pounce is still one of the our five best offensive line with moving Steen to center and Pounce to guard, be of any help since continuity at center is more important overall than at guard. Oh, absolutely. I think it you. hurts. Yeah, no, I think it hurts because yeah. I'm the offensive line guru here, and I'm the Mike Pouncey guru. It hurts. Absolutely. Offensive linemen need chemistry, and offensive linemen have been on record saying that it takes a weeks to get chemistry going. If Pouncey's only practicing one day a week and jumping into the fold on Sundays, you know, that's kind of troublesome, and I think it's it shows a little bit. I mean, yeah, they know his voice. They know his calls, and, and I'm sure that whoever's backing them up is making the same calls that Pouncey would make, and maybe Pouncey's even is in his ear, but it's just not the same. It's like if I'm standing next to Sutton telling him how to do the podcast intro and he does the podcast intro, it's not the same as me doing it. Um, if, I, if you guys are standing next to someone else and telling them to talk on the podcast for you, even though they're saying the same things that you would say, it's not the same, right? It's not building that same chemistry with the other co-hosts on the show. So for that, you know, it just hurts. And the second question helps. Second one, it seems that for as long as Gay stays with color, defenses are likely to continue leaving eight to nine men in the box, thus overwhelming our already compromised offensive line. For as long as this stays the case, shouldn't Gates be looking to take some of the workload off of Jai and spread it around to the other running backs? Sutton, that's the Well, yeah, yeah, this is going to me, Ray. So we've already seen running back shift. here. <laughs> Well, we've already we've already seen a shift at snaps at, for tight end. We saw Anthony Fasano get a lot more snaps this week, so I expect that trend to continue, if not get even more lopsided in Fasano's uh, direction. And I think that's going to help in a couple of ways. One way to combat having so many people in the box is to max protect and and just run two or three people out on a route. And Fasano is like a six offensive lineman in there with the way that he can block. So in other words, an opportunity to use Ajayi as a decoy, run some play action. We've seen the discrepancy that Jay Cutler's had throwing with play action, without play action. It's about a 28 point difference, I believe, in quarterback rating. So if we can get Ajayi at least a couple of decent runs and create the illusion that we're going to be able to sustain a running game. We get that play action involved. Then that's when you can use Kenny Stills running those deep routes, those nines. And that's where Devontae Parker's injury really hurts us, I think, because he was the one glimmer of production that we've had on offense so far. He's made some pretty key plays. And to not have him, we're going to have to see what Kenny Stills and Jarvis Landry can do as a twosome. We're probably going to see more Jakeem Grant. And we'll probably see a handful of plays with Leontay Carew in there too. So maybe this is an opportunity for us to, to have Jakeem Grant, you know, Kenyon Drake there on the field at the same time and, and, try to get some things going with some specialized packages that way. How I know you've mentioned that in a couple of different places, you know, trying to get some of these quick twitch guys on the field at the same time. So let, let's see if this offense is going to stay as vanilla as it seemed, or it's going to expand a little bit. All right. Anything else on the Finsider radio live thread on the Finsider.com. 
That looks like it. All right. Somebody's thank you. It's, for very li- it's very, <laughs> very lively on the ride thread tonight. So thank you all for participating and playing along with us and listening to our show. Even though you may have us on mute and just kind of talking in the live thread to each other, it's okay because we get the hit that you've been watching the show. And that's all that really matters at the end of the day is how many uh, people listen to our show. So good stuff on the live thread. If you're listening live right now, go to the cider.com. Check out the live thread. Really good stuff on there. Just, you know, scrolling through it right now. Someone asked, what's the word on iPad? Did we answer that one yet? No. So the word on Mike, Mike, uh, on Asiata and Mike Hawk 519. (laughs) Shut up. What was his his name? That's great. (laughs) Sorry, I don't say it louder. I'm, I'm, House is breaking up again. I can't hear what you say. Yeah, Mike, um, I don't know what's wrong with Asiata specifically, but the coaches say he needs a red shirt year. So that's what the coaches are saying. But who knows? Maybe he needs a red shirt year because he wasn't giving Forster enough cocaine in the locker room. All right. That's <laughs> enough of that. Uh, <laughs> I need to stop that. No, in all seriousness, guys, um, I know there's been a lot of jokes out there about, about Chris Forster. But drug addiction is real. Drug addiction is terrible. I, I really hope he gets the help he needs uh, and puts his life back on recovery. It, it could be anyone that we know. You know, it could be our relative, and, and you got to feel for his family and his close friends, especially his family, his kids, man. I mean, the dude is national news. It's so national that local news stations here in my, in my city and my region were covering it. That's how crazy it got. And I'm sure his kids are hearing all the jokes around and seeing everything and his wife or his ex-wife or his estranged wife, whatever it might be, is, is feeling everything. Uh, I know we joke about it because it's such an easy joke to make, but in all reality, you know, it's just a serious situation. We hope he gets the help that he needs. All right, moving forward to the Falcons game on Sunday. It's going to be a very tough test for the Dolphins, but get this. The Miami Dolphins defense have not allowed more than 20 points in a single game this season. The only other team that is up there like that, the Buffalo Bills. All other teams, all of the defense have given up at least more than 20 points at least one game this season. That's pretty damn impressive if you ask me, considering they face the Chargers, who have a potent offense. They face the Saints, and then uh, they just face the Titans, although Matt Castle was in at quarterback. They still have some damage they can do on the ground. But they'll have their toughest match of the season here when they go into Atlanta and take on the Dirty Birds, the Atlanta Falcons. You got the two the monsters, Monty Freeman and Kevin Coleman. You got Matt Ryan at quarterback. You got Julio Jones coming in healthy. You got Mohamed Sanu most likely playing. And of course, the Atlanta Falcons are coming off a bye. So, can the Miami Dolphins defense hold down this Atlanta Falcons offense? Some key matchups here Julio Jones, PFF grade of 87, going up Cordria Tankersley. And Tyler Gabriel going up against Taylor Gabriel, I'm sorry, uh, with a 73.6 grade going up against Xavier Howard, a PFF grade of 46.9. But Xavier Howard has uh, improved greatly over the past few weeks. When you go into the uh, nickel formation, when the Falcons come out with three wide, they're going to put Nick Williams in the slot, assuming Sanu cannot play. 72.4 going up against Bobby McCain with a 75.6 grade. Sutton, we know you are the cornerback and gurus of wide receivers, as well as cornerbacks, like I just mentioned. Those three matchups, do you think Tankers League can shut down Julio Jones? 
No, I don't think <laughs> any corner in the NFL is really capable of doing that. And, and that's not a slight to Tankersley. I mean, he's played well this year. So, and, and I just want to say that despite a season of many questions that have come out of the woodwork and crazy storylines so far, this defense has played very well. And I found some stats yesterday that I just want to share with you real quick. In 2016, the Dolphins had the sixth worst time of possession. We were 30th and rush yards per game, and we are tied for dead last in yards per carry. It was 4.8 yards per carry. Now, in 2017, we still have the sixth worst time of possession of all NFL teams, but now it is the, I believe, the fourth-ranked defense in terms of yards per game and the third-ranked team in yards per carry, and it went from 4.8 to 3.1. So you have to give a shout-out to this run defense, and that makes offenses one-dimensional. And if we can make Atlanta one-dimensional, then it really is going to come down to how this secondary matches up with this wide receiver group. With the way Rashad Jones is flying around right now, Kiko and Lawrence Timmons seem to be finding their stride. And I think we would agree that the real strength of this team is the rotation that we have on the defensive line right now. I mean, Godshaw's playing at a very high level. Sue is Sue. Charles Harris got his first sack. William Hayes is, you know, thank God we had a coffee machine and a stapler laying around to get William Hayes last year in the off season. So that combination of everybody and, making them one-dimensional, being able to pin your ears back, then, yeah, things can happen. Atlanta's turned, turned the ball over six times in the last two games. So this may not be a pretty box score game, but if we get some turnovers, that's all that matters. That swings games. All right. So you kind of touched on the defensive line there, and William Hayes has been a huge addition for the Dolphins defense. Well, let's go to the defensive line. Let's look at that a little more in depth. And how this is going to be more directed towards you because you are the guru of offensive linemen and defensive linemen. Oh, Charles Harris God. came along nicely. A PFF grade of 79.4. Please don't yell my name out again out loud like that um, in front of everyone on this podcast. Charles Harris, <laughs> uh, PFF grade of 79.4. Going up against uh, Sunday, Jake Matthews, left tackle. PFF grade of 75.6. Godshaw. 47 grade on PFF, but I think his play is a little better than what his grade is. He is going to have a real tough test against Alex Mack, the center for the Falcons, 93.9. And Dominican Sue, 89.5, also going to be a great matchup to watch. And then, of course, you got Cameron Wake with a grade of 84, and he is going to feast on Ty Sambrello. Cameron Wake with a grade of 84, and Sambrello with a grade of 39.5. Three. So, Houts, when you look at the Dolphins' defensive line versus the Falcons' offensive line, uh, do you think the Dolphins' defensive line can continue to make noise like they did against the Titans? Or do you think it was just because Matt Castle was back there? Did you make up that last name because Sam Brio? Uh, whatever. I, I think Cameron <laughs> Wake, I, I think based on the, the little uh, stats that you gave and the numbers, I think that's pretty much where the mismatch is. Otherwise, I, I like Atlanta's offensive line. I think 
uh, anyone, anyone can be excited for the way this, this defense is played, especially the run game. You got Sue, you got Godchild, you got Charles Harris. I mean, I know he blocked me on Twitter. Someday he's going to unblock me. But, I mean, he, he looks like he's the real deal. You got William Hayes, Andre Branch. The Dolphins' defensive line has been very good. But I think coming off a bye, I mean, that that's the biggest thing to me is that Atlanta, the defending NFC champs, they're coming off a bye. And that run game, that's one of the better run games in the NFL. Two-headed monster. Devontae Freeman, I know you and I both have him in fantasy football. Uh, Tevin Coleman, one of the better better uh, complimentary backs in the league. I, I think the Dolphins are definitely going to have their handful. they got to get pressure on the quarterback. they got to win those matches on the in- matchups on the inside because you got Nadam Kitsu, Godchild. Those are the guys that this game is going to re- rely heavily on. And without them coming through, and, and I do think, Sue, he's going to have a big game like he always does. But without being able to stop the run and getting penetration up the middle, this this could be a long day for the Dolphins' defense. Yeah, and hopefully the linebackers can help as well. We'll get to that in just a second for you, Sutton. But Jordan Phillips started practicing again today. Uh, he would be a huge boost to that defensive line rotation. As much as we get on Jordan Phillips for not being consistent, he is a good player when he can be. And him rotating in and out with Godshaw and Vincent Taylor will be a big boost to that defensive line. Now, like I said, Sutton, going to the linebacker position, Kiko Alonso was an absolute monster Graded uh, the best linebacker of the week by PFF. Currently has a grade of 80.5. Ray Maluga making a huge impact at middle linebacker, really getting there and stuffing the run. And Lawrence Timmons continuing to be quite impressive there uh, now that he's rejoined the team. He's going, they're going to have to go against the uh, Falcons offensive line. Hopefully the defensive line up front can eat up those blocks, allow the linebackers to get free and take down Coleman and Freeman. Coleman coming out of the backfield, catching a lot. It's going to be at the Timmons and Alonzo to get them. Uh, also, Freeman is a very good pass catcher out of the backfield. Do you think these Dolphins linebackers are up for the test button? Oh, yeah, they're going to have their work cut out for them, but based on how they played in that last game, I saw some swagger from those guys. I thought they fed off of each other very well. For Lawrence Timmons, for somebody that supposedly slowed down, I thought he was flying around pretty well. Kiko Alonso made probably the play of the game, getting that uh, blindside blitz on Matt Castle, forcing the fumble. Rashad Jones, you know, the wise, savvy veteran that he is, scoops it up, runs it in, ends up getting called a touchdown. I thought that was such a trippy play when I was watching it. I wasn't sure really what was happening, but uh, it certainly worked out in our favor. I don't know that I've ever seen a play like that before. Have you guys seen a play like that where – they pick it up. The other team doesn't really know what's going on. They just run it in for a touchdown like that. I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of weird. No, because usually the refs it. are blowing that play dead right away. Yeah. And, you know, and after he ran it into the end zone, I kind of remember thinking to myself, wait, I didn't hear a whistle either. So no. what's going to happen here? And I, I didn't think. I, I thought maybe after they did the replay that they would give us the ball where he scooped the ball up but they actually gave us credit for the touchdown even though the other team had no idea what was going on but whatever I'll take it so it's I thought the nickel looked a lot better too with Kiko and Lawrence Timmons out there being able to get Mike Hall off the field you know God bless him for uh, how hard that he plays for us but being able to replace him in nickel and pass coverage is a good thing for us having Timmons out there is a good thing for us so if we fly around like we were, and the defensive line keeps their gap integrity like they have been, 
and we can scoop in, make some tackles, and yeah, we can make these guys one-dimensional too. And then, then you don't, you know, you don't know. All right. And then looking in the backfield, Nate Allen having a really rough year, 38.8 PFF grade. Rashad Jones elite once again, and so far 84.6. He'll be counted on to kind of control Julio Jones and the other guys. It'll be a huge boost if Sanu is out because then he could probably double team Jones and then go man, uh, mano to mano with the other guys there. But again, it's going to be on our linebackers. I think that's what this game is going to come down to, Sutton and Houts. If our linebackers can control Freeman and Coleman, I think that's where we're going to see because we know the Falcons love to throw uh, to their guys coming out of the backfield. We know they love to run the ball. That two-headed monster there, it's going to come down to Lawrence Timmons, Kiko Alonso, and Ray Maluga. And if they can get the job done, I think the Dolphins will win this game. Let's flip it over to the other side and look at the Dolphins' offense versus the Falcons' defense. How I'm going to come back to you with this one for the offensive line and defensive line. Uh, Tunsil improving. PFF grade of 63.8. Steen, 66. Pouncey, 54.2. Bushrod, 36.8. Bushrod's doing a terrible job this year. Juwan James, 68.4. The Falcons' defensive line is a 4-3 front. Claiborne at 79.1. That is the defensive end. You got the Dontari Poe in the middle, 78.3. Grady Jarrett, 86.7, and Takaris McKinley, Tack McKinley, who had the epic uh, draft moment, 76.5. So for you, Houts, we talked about the offensive line earlier, but do they have a chance against this Falcons defensive line? And just one quick note, Vic Beasley is questionable for Sunday's game. He was limping at practice today. His status is day-to-day. We're not quite sure what's going to happen there. But what are your thoughts, Houts, on the Dolphins' offensive line versus the Falcons' defensive line. Well, Vic Beasley's out for the Falcons. That'd be a huge, huge difference maker for the Dolphins. But, I mean, you ran through the the stats, the the grades, as you would. And, I mean, on paper, I, I don't see how the Dolphins can contain that defensive line. The, the Falcons have too many pass rushers. Uh, they're some of the best in the league. And, again, coming off that bye week, you got Dan Quinn, one of the better defense coordinator or defensive minded head coaches in the NFL. Uh, I think the Dolphins, they've had their handful with, with every off or every defensive line they've gone up against this season. So to think that the Atlanta Falcons is one of the best defensive lines in the NFL wouldn't just have their way with the Dolphins. Uh, I, I just can't see that happening. So I think the Dolphins, they're going to definitely have their hands full and I think it's going to be a huge mismatch. And that's ultimately where the game will be decided, in my opinion. All right. Your linebackers, you have Deion Jones with a grade of 83.2. Devondre Campbell with a grade of 83.4. When you got a uh, linebackers in there, you throw in Duke Riley. He has a PFF grade of 38.4. So you may think the Dolphins may try to run the ball a bit more to expose that matchup because once you get them in the nickel, they become quite stronger because then you got Brian Poole in the slot there at 82.4. You got Desmond Trufant on the outside at 84.2. But you do have Robert Alford with a PFF grade of 48.5 in Sutton. And the Dolphins receivers can get things going. And if Devontae Parker can get on the field healthy, he would be matched up against Robert Alford and stills be matched up against him. They might have themselves quite a big game if Cutler can find uh, who Alford's on and pick on him throughout the entire game. But it is going to be stiff competition. How do you think the wide receivers for the Dolphins can get? And, and quite honestly, do you think it's time the Dolphins go back to their week one approach where they're just throwing short passes and, and moving the chain? Oh, yeah. We should just throw a ton of bubble screens because those have worked out so <laughs> far. 
No. <laughs> no, the no. plants, you know, yeah. little drag roots across the middle. No, no, I, I see what you're saying. You know, do, doing more West Coast stuff. And that's what we've seen so far. And that's what, you know, when, when teams are bringing eight, nine people into the box, there's just not many windows for that horizontal spacing type of offense to work. We have to be able to push the ball down the field in some way and loosen that defense up. So we have to get the ball down the field somehow. And, yeah, Devontae Parker, that's going to be a huge part of that because it does seem like – and we've seen Jay Cutler's rapport with Brandon Marshall and Alshon Jeffrey. He does seem to perform better with those bigger wide receivers. And when you look at the rest of our wide receiver core, there's no one like Devontae Parker size-wise. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of plays Adam Gase can draw up to get some vertical elements for Kenny Stills especially. How can we get Kenny Stills down the field, get him involved, and make a big play? We just haven't seen a big play for this offense yet. I mean, I I want to say that Ajayi, there's maybe a 19-yard gain in the last game, and that was our biggest play of the game. I mean, that's – we have to get some kind of vertical element to this offense or there's going to be such minimal spacing and such minimal room for a giant to run. It's just not sustainable. Yeah. So, and then you, of course you got for the Falcons, Ricardo Allen in the backfield as a free, a free safety at 63.8 and Keanu Neal with 63.8 as well. If the Dolphins can get a going, like you just mentioned, right? If they can get him going, then throw in the play action, which we all talked about. the ball but you got to get jhi going first but if the Dolphins can get play action going they can throw some deep passes and they can exploit the safeties for the because they're not to write them about and that's going to be key in my opinion so i mean it sounds so cliche right get the run game going develop play action and then move the ball from that angle but in all reality that's i think the path for the dolphins on offense it, it I, I tweeted this earlier it would be one hell of a coincidence right if the Dolphins' offensive line started playing a lot better this coming Sunday, now that their coach is no longer there, who was uh, probably high more than half the time, that uh, he was putting together game plans and putting the protection together, it would just be one hell of a coincidence if the offense suddenly turned it on this Sunday with him no longer in the fold. Yeah, right. it would be, uh, yeah. be, be such a Dolphins <laughs> thing to do. It, it totally would be, and it made one for one hell of a storyline. Uh, how is anything you want to add about the upcoming matchup versus the Falcons? I think we may have covered basically everything. Yeah, I think we did well. I just can't wait to see two of the league's best running backs go head-to-head. I mean, you got Devontae Freeman on one side and J.J. on the other. I think ultimately whichever one of those players have the better game, uh, that's a team that's going to end up winning. Listen, at the end of the day, the Dolphins are 2-2. Two and two. After everything that they have happened to have had happened to them, they are sitting at 2-2. Two and two. And we always say, well, if the season ended today, well, one, the season doesn't end today. There's a long way to go. But if the season did end today, um, but, I mean, you look at the AFC, the Chiefs are 5-0. and The Broncos are 3-1. and The Jaguars are 3-2. and Everyone else has two or three or four losses, or in the Browns' case, five losses. That's incredible parity. Again, out of all those teams, 16 teams in the AFC, does one, two, 
three teams out of 16. Actually, not even, because the Jaguars have two losses. So out of 16 teams, only two teams have less than two losses, and that's the Chiefs and the Broncos. In the NFC, out of 16 teams, you have the Eagles with one loss, the Packers with one loss, and the Panthers and Falcons with one loss. Four teams out of 16. So six total teams out of 32 in the NFL have less than two losses. So the Dolphins, for everything that has gone wrong, and yes, their offense is still uh, trash right now, and you just hope that it finds its way. But at the end of the day, you don't get in the playoffs based on how well your offense or defense is playing. You get in based on your record. And if the Dolphins can play lights-out defense like they played last week and kind of showed against the Saints there, then, you know, this Dolphins team has a chance even if their offense is sputtering from time to time. Just think that's incredible parity uh, here in the NFL. And that's what the NFL has aimed to do. Yep. All right. Any, anything else, boys? Nah. All right. 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Dolphins versus Falcons in Atlanta in their brand-new stadium. The Dolphins will look to bring their record to 3-2 and two, while handing the Falcons another loss, bringing them – Two, three, and two as well. We'll see what happens and shakes out Sunday. Until then, let's hope nothing else breaks in the news with the Miami Dolphins. I think they've had quite enough up to this point season. They can use a few days quiet for House Shradamus and certain the creepy soccer that I am MC Money. Thank you for joining Finsider Radio. We'll talk to you next time. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.